Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we are grateful you're here today, making it out in the, in the weather, um, keeping, your, keeping first things first. This morning, we're wrapping up our series that we've been looking at this fall called Walk the Talk, based on Peter's first letter in the New Testament, near the end of the New Testament. He was writing this letter to Christians in what today we would call northern Turkey, and he was writing them to try to encourage them, because in all probability, they were starting to experience harassment, even even persecution for their faith. It's one of the reasons, as we look through what we would teach this fall, we felt like this letter was so valuable to us today, because we are living in times that seem to be increasingly intolerant to Christianity and to his Christ church. We seem to be seeing laws or rules or, or just attitudes that, that are increasingly don't seem to want to acknowledge uh, Christ and his ways. And so the lessons that Peter teaches to the Christians of his day really do apply to us today. Last week in chapter 4, we saw that Peter was telling his readers that even as they they feel more and more hostility from those around them to the Christian faith. They were to above all love. That, 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 they were, that was the way that they were to respond, both to those treating them poorly, but also and especially to those around them in order to help and encourage them, the others within the community of faith, who are also experiencing trials and suffering. And so this morning we move to the last chapter, chapter 5, as Peter turns to very specific groups in the church that he wants to speak to, to give some, some uh, more focused instructions, and then to offer to all the readers sort of a, some final remarks. So turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to start right at the beginning of that. If you have your mobile device, you can go on it to the YouVersion Bible app and open it to the live page. And if you have neither of those, we have the insert in your bulletin, a place where you can follow along and, t- and take notes and, and have the scriptures that we'll be looking at this morning. Beginning in verse 1, Peter writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now, Peter directs the first four verses of this chapter, of this last chapter, to what he calls the elders in the churches he is writing. And that may sound like he is speaking to the elderly, like somehow this is for the old folk and it doesn't apply to anybody else. But elders in the church then and now have always been a class of leaders. And this, and this idea dated all the way back to the time of Moses and even earlier. In the Hebrew language, the word elder derives from the word beard. And, and I suppose in some sense that the wisdom and the leaders of the early uh, times in Judaism and then in Christianity, uh, maybe they had long beards signifying their wisdom or their experience uh, as men who gathered together in councils to, to uh, make civil decisions for a village or issue judgments of, of right and wrong between individuals or serve as advisors. Uh, they actually, by the time of Christ, had evolved into what we've come to know as the Sanhedrin, the, the body that met on the night in which Jesus was crucified and the next morning and, and, and sought to have him crucified. That body was responsible for all the religious 
Jewish decisions. And so the, it, it actually became sort of natural as Christianity grew out of Judaism that they would, ev- would adapt some of the same uh, leadership structures. And so elder appears to have evolved from the Jews. We see it being mentioned for the very first time in Acts chapter 11, uh, being specifically referred to the elders or the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, of which Peter was perhaps the leader, but, but James was also, the, the brother of John was also there, and later uh, uh, it would be James, the brother of Jesus. And so we see this evolving by the time we get to Acts 14. Uh, the Apostle Paul says he, he has been, wherever he started churches or wherever he encountered churches, he was appointing elders there to lead. And it's interesting for us to recognize in the New Testament, uh, many times, no, not in every case, the roles of the words elder, or some translations will say overseer, sometimes the word will be bishop or pastor, seem to almost be used interchangeably. The elders were, in effect, the shepherds of God's flock. They, they oversaw the administration of the community of faith that was meeting in someone's home, and and they were allowed to fill that role because of their spiritual maturity. They were perceived by, by either apostles or among themselves as to be those who were more spiritually mature. Interestingly, age was not, in fact, a primary qualification, though it was often seen because those had, had more opportunities to experience the love of Christ, to live that out in their lives, and perhaps were more spiritually mature, but in fact... Age was not in and of itself a criteria, and yet that becomes kind of confusing for us because today in our culture, the word elder pretty much is exclusively used toward age as, a, as an age reference. Paul lists a number of qualifications of elders in some of his letters, First Timothy and Titus among others, and, and, and in doing that, he makes it clear, as Peter sort of does, that there really are higher standards for elders or for leaders within the church in their roles as teachers and role models. In some churches today, elders fulfill what we would call the pastor's role. In other churches, they may be more of an oversight role in conjunction with pastors. Uh, My ordination in the United Methodist Church is to the office of elder. Peter, who at the very start of this letter makes the claim that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ in the very first verse, he claims that in the beginning to, to help them understand those to whom he's writing, whom he's never met, why he has the authority to speak to them. He is an apostle. That was the, the highest uh, level of leadership in the early church. But at the same time, as we come now to chapter 5, he claims a, an affinity with many of his leaders because he also calls himself a fellow elder. And he was. He was one of the elders of the church in Jerusalem. And he is making an appeal now to those leaders in the churches to whom he is writing. And and, and because he has been there too, he wants them to understand. He understands what they're going through. He knows what it's like to be a leader. He knows the things that they have to face. And yet he goes further. For in this first verse, he also claims to be a witness of Christ's suffering. And we know that, that he did, although he, he really didn't do that all that well because we know uh, overnight, that night when Jesus was uh, before the Sanhedrin, he denied him three t- Peter denied him three times, even knowing who he was. Um, 
He reminds them that he also shared in the glory to be revealed. And that that word glory continues to be a word that is really hard for us in the 21st century to kind of get a grasp on. Because for one thing, uh, we've never experienced the glory of the Lord. The the early Hebrews, we're told the glory came upon the tabernacle. The glory came upon Solomon's temple when it was consecrated for service. We know that Peter had an experience up on a mountaintop called the Mount of Transfiguration where he witnessed the glory of God and it was so overwhelming to him, he didn't even know what to say. He kind of just said, hey, well, let's build something, you know? That's what we do. When we don't know what to do, we say, well, let's do something. And he was really, it, it was overwhelming. And so he's telling them he also will share and he knows what he's talking about with this glory. And it's been an important theme throughout this letter because as Peter is talking to these early Christians who are experiencing, beginning to experience intolerance toward them, even persecution toward them, they start to wonder, you know, we're suffering, is it worth it? And and Peter has been saying all through here, yes, it is worth it, there is going to be redemption, salvation fully will come to you at some point, and in fact, you will experience the glory of the Lord, you will be in the midst of the heavenly chorus, you will experience things that you cannot even imagine, and you will be vindicated, you will be vindicated to those who have made fun of you or misunderstood you or, or put you down. And, and as he does this, he now turns into some very specific directions on spiritual leadership to these fellow elders in these other churches. Verse two, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And that, that word to us, I mean, shepherd to us most of you, does, does anybody have a flock of sheep? Just curious. Anybody have a flock of sheep in your backyard? No. Where I go hunting, sometimes they have sheep. And, and what I do know about sheep is sheep need a leader because they just kind of wander off on their own. We don't, we don't, that image is not one that is particularly well known to us today, but, but to Peter's listeners and readers, they would have known exactly what it's talking about, that when God talks about being a shepherd, it's, it's taking care of them. It, it, it's, it's guiding them. It's feeding them. It's watering them. It's protecting them. Because on their own, they weren't very bright. On their own, they got themselves into more trouble than they knew what to do with. And so David talked about this even a thousand years before Peter, that God was the ultimate good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, he said. God is the perfect shepherd, supplying everything that we need to live this life to its fullest, to live it the way God wants us to, intended us to. But Peter says that that God has also entrusted his flock, some of his flock, to what, for lack of a better word, might be under-shepherds. He is the, the lead shepherd, the, 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 the head shepherd, and to the shepherds under him, the elders of the church, he has given them responsibility for being spiritual stewards of the lives of those God has entrusted to them, to take care of them. And steward is a, is a very intentional word here. Some of you think, okay, well, we just took up the offering. That was the stewardship time. But that is a total misunderstanding of the word. A steward in biblical times was one who managed the affairs of others, who took care of things that were not theirs for the sake of others. If you're a banker today, you are a steward of the financial resources entrusted to you by your customers. 
And you can go on and on, you can find all kinds of examples, but one of the things the Bible says is that, that we are stewards of everything that is entrusted to us, our lives, our very lives, we're stewards of our lives to take care of them. They're not our own. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are bought by a price, and therefore we are not our own. He is the Lord. He is master. And we are given these lives to care for. Our children are entrusted to us. Our abilities are entrusted to us. The time we have to live on this earth is entrusted to us. We're not promised anything the fact that any of us are alive is totally a matter of grace. That God said, I want you, whomever you are, you each individually, singular, I want you to live. I want you to have a life. I have a role and a purpose for you. So those, the, 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 that steward goes even a step further to say that leaders in a church are stewards of the spiritual journey of those entrusted to them by God. That, that they're there, and it is, it is not a job, but a privilege, each one of us. If you're a parent, you're entrusted with the spiritual journey of your child. When we dedicate children up here, we're talking primarily to the parents and pulling out Scripture from Deuteronomy 5 and 6 that talks about the importance of that. It is a sacred trust, a calling to be taken seriously. And, and every follower of Christ is a steward of all kinds of things, including the faith which has been entrusted to us. So he goes on, he says, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Peter wants these leaders to understand that, that this is a choice they have made willingly to lead. It's not a burden forced upon them. Uh, it, it's why we typically say that pastors, who are, are some of the ones who typically fill the role of elders, should sense a calling it's not a job that a person does because someone makes them. Or they're thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to be a pastor. I bet it pays pretty well. Not so much. Um, or it, it looks hard, not that hard. They only work one day a week. You know, that ought to be a great job. I can live my life and everybody will like me and all that kind of stuff. And if you think that, we need to talk. Now, um, the truth of the matter is, being a, called into that is really important. And, and trust me, we don't want everyone called to be a pastor. Because who's going to teach school? Who's going to sell insurance? Who's going to heal the sick? Who, who's going to, to be out there manning the roads in difficult times? Not everybody should be a quote-unquote the office of pastor or, or elder in that sense. But every one of us is called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are called to live out that vocation wherever we are. You know, it, it may not be working in a church, but it doesn't mean that you're calling as a teacher or as, as a, a, a salesman or whatever it may be, isn't equally important to the work of the kingdom where you are as an administrator, as a lawyer, whatever the case may be, as a, as, as a mother or a father. It's incredibly important. And, and yet, for, if there is a sense that, it, that maybe there is a calling into the ministry, if you will, 
It's something that has to be discerned very carefully. I remember um, praying a lot about this for months. And, and part of it was because, frankly, I wasn't looking for a job. I was, I was an engineer, and I was doing pretty well. And I thought, you know, why would I want to give up that and, and go be a pastor? And um, yet, for me, as for many who are pastors, the commitment was, what does God want me to do? And if, if that means sacrifice in this way, I will. Every one of us is called, who are followers of Christ, we're called to sacrifice. You're called to sacrifice in areas of your lives. If you're not sacrificing, then I want to tell you, you're probably not following Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. He calls us to a meaningful life. He calls us to a life that makes a difference. And making a difference is not always the easiest way. It doesn't mean it's always hard. It doesn't mean it's not fulfilling. But it should, we should understand it to mean that there are times when in being obedient to God, we will suffer. Some people won't understand. Some people will say things about us. There are all kinds of ways that, that you can play that out. And, and the last thing I think any of us want to do is fulfill a role that God has not called us to. And, and, and believe me, you don't have to be a quote-unquote pastor to be called into what you are doing. God uses all of us right where we are to do amazing things if we will entrust our calling to him. Peter also says it's not to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve. That, that if we're doing something, especially within the serving of the church for pay, if that's our first concern, he's telling them this isn't for you. Leading and serving in a church is a, is a divine privilege given by God. It's not a power trip. If you're in leadership within a church, even if it's not paid, it's not about power. Peter says not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In other words, elders should be eager to serve by being examples. And that doesn't mean that they're perfect by any stretch of the mean. No pastor, no leader in a church has ever been. If you ever find a church where there's perfect leadership, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. Because it doesn't, frankly, it doesn't exist. None of us are perfect. No human being could do that, including Peter. And Peter's own life was one of the best testimonies to that, someone who had doubted who Jesus was and, and denied him. Someone who would even later, after Jesus was resurrected, who had received a vision of, of opening up different foods were now okay for Christians to eat, who would be called on the carpet by Paul, the apostle Paul, when he refused to eat with some of the Gentiles and instead kind of pulled himself away with some of the Jews. There is this importance of yet doing the best we can by the grace of God through his faith to be the role models that, that those around us need because there are a lot of people who will not see Jesus, who will not maybe even have heard of him, but in more mature Christ followers, they have the opportunity to see him shining through, even if they don't understand what they're seeing. A gentleman named Jeff got a, a phone call on the other end of the line and said, Jeff, it's, it's Jimmy. And, and, and Jimmy suffered from several age-related illnesses. He was one of the clinic's regular clients where Jeff worked. And, and he, he said to Jimmy, Jimmy, hi, I'm, man, Jeff, I'm, I'm really sick. I, I got a fever. I, I'm, I'm struggling. You got to help me. And Jeff said he'd already put in a 60-plus hour week. 
He was ready to head home. He didn't, he didn't want to do this, really. Uh, but, he, but the role kicked in. He promised that he would come. And even on the drive over, he said he was complaining to God the whole way. Why is it me, God? Why does it have to me? Why am I having to do this? He, the moment he walked in the door, he could smell vomit. It was that bad. He was that sick. Jimmy was on the sofa. He was shivering in distress. Jeff wiped his forehead, got a bucket of soapy water, began to clean up the mess. And, and, and even as he was doing it and trying to look concerned and care on the inside, he was still, it was still going on, this battle, this struggle within him. A few minutes later, Jimmy's friend, Russ, who also lived there, who had AIDS, came down the stairs, and, and even the, the smell made Russ sick. And, and so he's there kind of observing as Jimmy is, as Jeff is cleaning the carpet around where Russ is and, and getting up the vomit. And, and Jeff is just, I mean, he, he's just getting, he's getting madder. Why, why is this? Why do I have to do this? And suddenly he said, Jeff startled him. He said, I understand. I get it. Jimmy, Jeff, I, I get it. And, and his friend Jimmy said, what? What are you talking about? What, what do you get, Russ? And, and with some tears streaming down his, his face, Russ, his friend, said, man, I finally understand who Jesus is. He's like Jeff. For some people who have never maybe even heard of Jesus or certainly don't know anything about his character, when you and I live a servant life, when we, even when on the inside there's a battle going on, we seek to love, choose to love, to help another, God can reveal amazing things. And they may never meet Jesus face to face in this life, but they will meet someone who teaches them who Jesus is. And that night, Russ, Jeff prayed over Russ. Russ welcomed Jesus into his life as his Lord and Savior. And God used Jeff in a way he didn't even anticipate. You know, I, I, it's, it's always worth saying, you may be the only Christ that someone meets. Tomorrow, you may be, if you're living out the love of Jesus, the only Christ that someone encounters. And the more we seek to be like Christ, the better and clearer he can shine through us to be a witness so that even when they do not know Christ, they can see in our actions, in our lives, something that is so different that ultimately they start to understand who Christ is. That's why Peter has given his readers and us some qualifications in these first two or three verses that speak to the heart of the motivation of, of elders, that our witness matters all the time. And, and, and this is critical because human nature on, it own, on its own tends to be self-serving, looking out for number one, instead of serving someone and helping someone who's struggling, who's hurting, and, and all too often, we, we are tempted to wield power and use it for our advantage and not how we can help others. Yet Jesus calls us to a totally different way of living, including how you and I lead in and through his church. 
Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have a boss who loves to let you know they're the boss? How many of you have a family member who loves to wield power? How many of you have experienced friends who think they're better than you, and they're always telling you what to do because they want to be in charge? Jesus says that's typical of today. But he says among you, his followers, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the, must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus here, he's telling us he is the ultimate model for the apostles and the elders and any leader in the church that it's not about power, wielding power and being in charge. It's about loving and sacrificing and serving for the sake of others. And so Peter says here in verse 4, when the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus, appears, you will then receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You're going through all this. Yes, nobody recognizes. Nobody seems to care. It's not easy. But Peter says when Jesus returns, he will appear as our chief shepherd and he will bestow on faithful elders the crown of glory. Now, you may know that, that we think of crowns often as something made of metal, but in, in these times, primarily in the sports world, when someone won, they didn't get a medal or a ribbon. They got a crown or made out of, of flowers and, and other things, which looked nice when you're standing on the, the podium for a minute or two. But after a, sh- a couple of days, all of it starts to wilt and fade and, and disintegrate. And what, what Peter is saying here is that, that when we serve for the sake of Christ... That day comes when we are recognized and we receive that crown of glory. It's a, it's, a, it's a crown that will never fade away. The sacrificial work of the elder, of the leaders of the church, bless so many. And though their rewards in this life may not be very much at times, God knows what they're doing and he will honor them. He will honor you. Peter then moves on to address a couple of more groups here. Verse 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And, and, and it could be, okay, old, young guys, you're supposed to always do what the old guys say. But in the context here of what's happening, it's more likely that Peter isn't just saying it's about young men doing whatever older men tell them, but they are to submit their lives to follow the examples of those with more experience in the, the Christian faith, to submit to those who have have served, who have been there, to draw upon their wisdom, to to learn from them. Peter then widens the audience, and later in verse 5 he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, regardless of age or regardless even of spiritual maturity, we who are followers of Jesus Christ are called to, to defer to one another, to listen to one another, to show humility as a foundational characteristic of all followers of Jesus Christ. It's not about the power trip. It's not about, look at me. It's about serving. It's about being humble. He he draws on Proverbs 3.34 to show that this has always been God's intention because Proverbs 3.34 says, the Lord has no use for conceited people but shows favor to those who are humble. Arrogance has no place 
in the community of faith. Jesus himself, he said, I come not to be served, but to serve. He's our model. He is our leader. And he said, I didn't come so that you could all pronounce me wonderful. I came to serve you for the sake of the kingdom. And that is our calling as well. That's the attitude he calls every Christ follower to clothe themselves in. That leadership, especially in the church, is never a power trip, but is should be servant leadership where leaders such as elders serve the community of faith. And it is so often a totally different model from what is common in the world around us where people aspire for power, where they move up the ladder, where they want to be able to tell somebody what to do, where they're looking for the chance to advance further along and be in charge. And Jesus says it is not to be that way for you. Not at all. He says in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That that as we humble ourselves, as we entrust our care to God, no matter how others are treating us, no matter whether they dismiss us or, or they just kind of are indifferent to us, means in challenging times, when we're not getting our due, when we go unnoticed, when we're ridiculed, God still sees all that happens. He notices and knows who trusts him. And he will ultimately lift you up and bless you. It, it, can, it can be easy to get anxious about that, to wonder, how is this going to happen? When is it going to occur? But Peter says, we don't have to be that way. That God is in ultimate control and and regardless of how things go, this life doesn't have to have the final say in our lives. In fact, it doesn't. That we can trust God to care for us. All through this letter he's been talking about, it's challenging times, stuff is happening. But God will see you through, his salvation will save you, and in fact, he will vindicate you before your enemies. A gentleman named Mounts wrote, Anxiety follows when we forget that God is the one who cares for us. We are not left left to drift on the sea of chance facing shipwreck on the shoals of an impersonal destiny. We are under the care of a sovereign God who controls the course of history and is intricately involved in the everyday life of each of his children. We can trust God and we can can cast our anxiety on him, but but Peter says we still have to do our part. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. In other words, as Christians, we, we don't just stumble through life and, and do nothing. We need to control. We need to be watchful how we live because we have an adversary who's looking to trip us up, to hurt our witness and hurt our leadership. He says again in verse 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that picture of, of that lion, I, I've been to zoos a few times, maybe you have too. Sometimes the lions are just, they're lazy, they're off, off asleep somewhere. But sometimes the lions are some of the big cats. Have you ever noticed you walk up to the glass wall or the fence and they're just doing this? They're just moving back and forth. They're just pacing. They're looking out. You're wondering, are they planning to eat me? Am, am, I, am I lunch? Am I dinner? And they, or, or what's going to come my way? There's this movement, this going on and on. Peter says that's the way the devil is. He is always on the move, always looking for an opening where he can step in, where he can create havoc, especially in the church. It's interesting, really. Up to this point, every opponent that Peter has talked about in this letter through 
through Peter. He has always referred to them, culture, society, groups of people. He's referred to them in the plural as a group of people. And yet here for the very first time he gets specific and the language is in fact in the singular when he says devil. The Old Testament language of devil speaks of him as our adversary or accuser. And, and in the New Testament, we're told he is always a liar and a deceiver. And Peter says in verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What he's saying is we don't have to fear the devil so that we crumble in the face of his lies or his accusations. Instead, we are to stand firm in the faith that tells us God loves us, Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, that we are of infinite worth, of infinite value to him, no matter what kind of lies sometimes creep into our heads or we hear from somebody else. In this letter, Peter has constantly pointed us to being gracious, to being loving to our human critics, to those who are giving us a hard time around us. But here, when he comes to the devil, in, for this case, he says, resist him. Be, be loving to those, but resist the devil. It, it's a very, there's all of a sudden a real distinction here. Attacks from non-believers, they come from the outside, from the world around us, against the Christian community, that we are to love back into those communities, that we are to be serving. But with the devil, the attacks are not coming as much from the outside to the community as they are coming from within the community inside the community of faith. And though those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have his spirit living within us, and therefore we can never be possessed by the devil. You know, here we are coming up on Halloween and, and all that kind of stuff gets lifted up. But as followers of Jesus Christ, if you have made a commitment to Christ, you cannot be possessed. But we can be attacked. We, he can lie to us. He can speak into our lives and his point, what he loves to do more than anything else, is fracture the community of faith. He wants us to get us talking about each other. He wants us to be sniping at each other. He wants to be spreading lies, slanders, threats, raising self-doubt about ourselves, about others within the community of faith in order to destroy the unity of the church. And yet the unity of the Christian community is so important to Peter and, and it's so important to our witness. You know, nothing hurts the cause of Christ like pettiness, like gossip, like slander, like infighting within the community of faith. And it's important to recognize here what Peter is saying, that through our faith and the power of God working within those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we can resist the devil. We can. We're not hopeless. We're not helpless before him as long as Christ is working in and through us. Peter wants us to fight for the unity that we have as a church in Jesus Christ, as a unity not even of just this congregation, but of all congregations, knowing that, that this happens all throughout the church, all kinds of infighting, all kinds of stuff, and that that is the place the devil loves to, to damage the witness there's some of you in here today, you experienced that, and you said, I'm not going back to church. That church, those people, whatever it may be. But here's the thing, no church is made of perfect people. All of us are, are fall, fall, fall far from the grace of God. All of us stand in need of what only Jesus Christ can offer. And if you're doing so well, if you're perfect, then don't join this church, because we'll, we'll corrupt you. 
You know, we, we, we're all in this together. And the truth of the matter is sometimes people have impossible standards for the church because it thinks that somehow we're better than all of us. And maybe some of us, maybe some of us say things that make other people think that, but we're not, not at all. In fact, we're fallen sinners that are stand here only by the grace of God. And we have a witness only because Christ is living within us. And we can't say, I'm that good or I'm that smart. Or I've got all the answers. No. Christ has the answers. If, if, it, if it ever gets pointed back to one of us, it's a mistake. But if it gets pointed to him, that's the right, that's the right movement. That's the right motion. Peter wants us to fight for the unity of, of, of the church in, in Jesus Christ, knowing what happens. And he, the apostle Paul lays out for Christians the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. I put that reference in your notes because he talks to us about using things like the Bible and prayer, our salvation, our salvation and faith in order to be prepared, in order to battle that. We are not helpless, though we cannot defeat the enemy by ourselves. And that's why this armor is called the armor of God, because it only works when God equips and empowers it in and through us. And, and if you haven't read that passage, I encourage you to. Our, many of our women in the women's Bible study on Wednesdays, that's what they're studying, and, and it's powerful. Well, Peter goes on then, finally, he says in the, verse 10, the, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And, and again, he's pointing back to Proverbs 3, emphasizing that the grace of God is available to all if we humble him. He's already talked about humbling ourselves. And, and he says when we do that, we open ourselves to God's grace, and especially those undergoing attacks, either from the community beyond our walls or from the devil attacking within. He tells us that our resistance to the devil and standing strong against the increasing intolerance of a culture around us will, will go on. It's not going to stop until Jesus returns. So we will suffer. We, we have to admit that. We have to understand that. We should not be surprised by that or retreat from it. We should not be surprised when the devil makes inroads at times in the church. We should not say, I'm through with the church because they're a bunch of hypocrites, because we're all hypocrites. But that's exactly what Satan wants you and me to do. He wants us to give up. He wants us to pull away from his body, the body of Christ. But the God of all grace... And I emphasize all grace who called us to the glory of Christ will not let us suffer too long. Instead, he will restore us, Peter tells us, make us a, making us strong and firm and steadfast, giving us the foundation we need to not just survive, but to persevere and even thrive, to be glorious witnesses for his love and grace. God has the power to do this for the rest of time until Jesus returns. And the reality of this passage that we're looking at this morning is the real point is not actually warfare against the devil, but the power of our commitment to God when Christ is living within us and all that he can do through our faithfulness. Through him and our faithfulness, we can resist the supernatural powers of evil in this world. Through him, the power living within us, we can express the community of love and grace to a world that doesn't care or is indifferent or even is conspiring against the community of faith. God has that power regardless of what anybody else thinks. God will get every person through this who entrusts him and submits to Christ. 
God will get you personally, individually, through whatever you're going through for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you trust him, if you affirm that you believe it is so, which is why Peter says here, amen. Amen means to let it be so, to say, yes, that is what we want. That's why the church does say amen. Say it, amen. Oh, y'all can even do better than that. Amen. There you go. Affirm that. To say, yes, Lord, let that be so in my life. Then he wraps up verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you, testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Silas was probably a disciple named Silvanus, found elsewhere in the New Testament. He's the one probably carrying this letter to the churches. Peter keeps hammering home his point to encourage them to stand strong in the face of a culture that is, is, is after them because the grace of God will see them through. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark. Babylon is talking probably about Rome. That was his, where he was part of the church now instead of Jerusalem and he was an elder in that congregation. Mark here is probably not a biological son of Peter, but a spiritual son of Peter, much as Timothy was a spiritual son of the Apostle Paul. Mark traveled with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and we read about it in the book of Acts, and it appears at one point he didn't have much stomach for the missionary work he was on, but later on, later on he became one of Paul's most trusted companions, along with Luke, who was the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it seems that, that Mark, John Mark, he's sometimes called, teamed up with Peter. He listened to Peter's stories. And, and most believe that this Mark wrote down Peter's firsthand account of the ministry of Jesus, which comes to us today as the gospel of Mark. Finally, Peter says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Kisses were a common form of greeting uh, in the Middle East then, uh, but Peter emphasizes the kiss of love, God's love for each other, which, which describes really Peter's whole letter, that no matter what's happening to you, no matter how they are treating you, love is the, the way we are to respond. And his, his blessing of peace to all of you who are in Christ really describes the point of the whole letter, because Christ is in them. No matter what they are going through, whether it's big or small, whether it's going on for a long time or it hasn't even started, that we are to show love to one another. And, and, and that love creates a peace among ourselves and even with those who are opposed to us. Peter gives them, he gives us hope, he gives wisdom about how we are to live in times that really are increasingly intolerant of Christianity. And he comes back again and again to this main point, above all. Love. Yes, there are people who don't understand. Yes, they will say things. Yes, they will, they will affect your career. Yes, they will affect some of your friendships. Yes, they will hurt you. What do you do? Above all, we love. We love. That is sacrificial. That is incredibly hard. It's not gonna be the first thing you feel when someone does that. But if you trust Christ and you have him in your heart and you follow him day in and day out, the power of his spirit can enable you 
to do that. And that witness, that's the kind of witness that gets people scratching their head. That's the kind of witness that changes lives. That's the kind of witness that changes our world. Our prayer team will be down here. If you want to talk to them about that, would you join me? Let's pray. Gracious God, wow, you love us so much that even as we fall short of the glory of God, even as we, are, we, are, we struggle against powers and principalities, even as people around us, even in our families, our coworkers, our friends, and, and even total strangers sometimes can say hurtful or even abusive things, can leave us out, can create issues for us in our workplace or in our families. Father, there are many in this room who carry those burdens. You encourage them to stay the course, to trust you, to, to act in love, to resist the devil, to be a witness to the grace of God, which is able to do abundantly more than we can imagine or ask. Father, help us to live that today, tomorrow, this week. Help us to make that part of who we are. Help us to be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go, and above all, rain or shine, love. God bless you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.